Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Put down your pens, put down your pencils, step away from your keyboards and settle in for this week's episode of the writer's block. First and foremost, allow me to thank Don and Sally Wright for giving birth to me because without them, none of this would be possible. Um, and also let me thank Stateside Kava for the Kava that I'm drinking on today's episode of the writer's block. And as always to the narcissist cookbook, thank you. Good sir. For allowing me to use your music at the beginning and the end of every episode of the writer's block to all of those above. I say Bula Vanaka. I'm very excited today. Uh, I've got a good buddy of mine coming on. Uh, also it's another episode of pantsless Thursday for anybody that was wondering. Um, but, uh, I've got a good buddy of mine, Brian McDonald, which is going to be very exciting because when YouTube tries to come up with the, uh, automatic closed captionings for today's device, for today's episode it's going to be uh just a fun fun time for them uh so everybody welcome on my good friend 
known as Libertarian Dad, which I literally just found out about that that was him and I was wanting to get him on my show anyway. Uh, the econ grad, the law school student. Um, we met at Yalcon and Bruins fan number one, Brian McDonald. Hey, man, how's it going? It's going great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, nice man. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, you you and I met last uh, last summer at Yalcon. Um, I believe I started talking to you because I heard your accent, and I immediately assumed you were a Sox fan. Yeah, it's easy to assume, man. It's easy to assume. <laughs> like, if I had started talking to you and being like, you must be a Sox fan, and you came at me with, oh, no, I like the Yankees, that would have, I don't know if I would have talked to you again after that. <laughs> Yeah, no, if you, if you try to pull that in Boston and you're a local, I mean, you're probably going to get shunned all the way to New York. So <laughs> I get that. I get that. <laughs> uh, uh, I appreciate you having me on today. No, I'm, um, I appreciate you taking the time to come on today. Um, definitely. Definitely. Love so, the show. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I, you know, I, I love your, <laughs> I love Libertarian Dead. <laughs> That's a riot that you just, uh, you just, I thought, I thought you knew that. I, I, I just, I, I just never talked to you about it. I guess. I mean, I only started it like four months ago, yeah. uh, three months. Ago. Yeah. I mean, and, I, uh, I started following it a while ago, like however long ago. And, uh, you may have invited me to like it, but I get invited to like so many different pages and I just typically like all of them. But that one, I actually like that one. I actually pay attention to and I'm like, whoever's doing this content is good. <laughs> <laughs> thanks dude yeah it, it turned into it was supposed to be a, a shit posting meme page and it turned into um you know having a really fast growing following i mean i'm getting hundreds of likes and shares per post it's actually pretty surprising i like it i'm just gonna ride that pony as long as i can until i get zucked <laughs> right <laughs> yeah uh we keep you know? we keep um, waiting for that day we keep waiting oh, i know for- Every every time we put out an episode or a post, especially if Spike puts out the post, I get terrified that that's it. No. Like we're going to be gone for thirty days. <laughs> I, I I understand the fear. It's a rational fear. <laughs> I had um, actually, you probably be surprised to hear this too. Uh, a lot of your audience will probably hear it because we have a lot of mutual friends. But um, uh, Adam Smith, the original Adam Smith page. Yeah. That remember when I. Uh, were you paying attention when all of the uh, everybody was sharing our conversations with each other? Yeah, all the historical figures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was me. I initiated that with uh, Maximilian. Uh, Did you really? Um, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. We we initiated. We got that started. He started. I saw his page, and he started talking about. I don't even know who the guy was. Neither not none of those characters had any idea who each other are. and we all had 5,000 friends within like a week yeah too because we went viral with a few of our conversations so everybody we were getting like hundreds of friend requests a day it was hysterical and um the you know we, we did the parodies on purpose where we just started you know talking trash to each other you know but but his, with historically accurate facts though you know what i mean right it, yeah it was guys- pretty funny there there was one where somebody was just, I mean, they were just taking lines from Hamilton and they were like going into <laughs> rap battles. Uh, and I think, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. 
I did a rap battle about, about uh, economics. Yeah. Because <laughs> Adam Smith is my favorite economist, granddaddy of uh, uh, modern day economics, you know. Uh, Adam Smith is truly, uh, uh, truly amazing. I mean, he at the time they didn't even know um, what economics were. There were no words for it. There was no economists. There was nothing, nothing of the sort, nothing that uh, established somebody as a career that knew how to trade foreign nations and understood the uh, the financing and, and the socioeconomics that are involved in overall economics and uh adam smith kind of just took all of that all that data from over there over there brought it all together in the middle and just observed he, he just he, he just wrote down all of his observations about the facts of the time and how certain um you know certain pieces of legislation and and, and you know certain um you know protectionist um uh, economic principles um and and, and he analyzed those and, and, and realized how they affected the industries that they were in negatively. And that's all in his book, the, uh, the wealth of nations. Right. And, um, which is, it, if you take on that book, you're, you're my hero. <laughs> I, I couldn't read it. I had to listen to the audio book. <laughs> um, but I've listened to the audio book a few times now, I guess. And you know, it lasts you about two weeks, but it's unbelievable. Probably the best, um, economic book I've been to be honest. I kind of... So after I saw the Adam Smith page, I actually do run another page that I haven't really given up. It's uh, Adam Smith Society. I mean, uh, Adam Smith's Legacy, I apologize. Ad- Adam Smith's Adam Legacy? Smith's Legacy is my other page. I, what's up? You're, you're kind of breaking up on me a little bit, um, but Adam Smith's Legacy is what you said? Yeah, Adam Smith's Legacy. That's my other page. Okay. It only has a few hundred followers, but it's, I haven't, I haven't sent out any invites or anything like that yet. But that's just, I started that after uh, Adam Smith got zucked. Right. Yeah, I was uh, really excited because I like, I, I, I like, I was, I was friends with all of these historical figures, and now it's just me and Maximilian Robespierre. Yeah, and the one that started it all is the one who's still there. Yeah, and, and nobody deleted him. It, it's. Must because he's French. It's got yeah. It's got to be because you he's know? French. Uh, I actually, uh, I mean, he, I mean he, he took out all his competition. I mean, <laughs> he uh, he knew. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he he was of the bourgeoisie, but instead he pretended to be you know for the proletariat. Hey, we're just gonna kill all, behead all the other bourgeoisie, and they'll leave me alone. No, they eventually got taken too. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. It was yeah. pretty funny. No, that um, that was one of my favorite like two weeks on Facebook. Cause like was, yeah. that was just it was such a crazy time because yeah. like I'm friends with all these historical figures who are arguing over stuff that happened two hundred years ago. And it was all factual and it was amazing to watch. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's I yeah, I didn't no, know that was fun was, because you got to yeah, I didn't know that was you no, either. We talk, you know, yeah, yeah, it was a good time. That was a good time. Yep. Uh, so I tend to get out there apparently whenever I uh, get involved into things, but I spread myself very thin. So um, about time I grow up and start to concentrate my efforts onto uh, greater and better things, so I can make a better influence. You know. Right. So, um, so how is it? 
How is it that you, a man from Boston, became a libertarian? It's a good question. Not many of us up here. Yeah. <laughs> um, my buddy, my buddy Jeff Jeff Lyons can attest to that as well. Um, yeah. No. It. Um. It, it. Easy answer. Ron Paul. But I'll get into it. I'll get into it. All Ron right. Paul, of course. You know, I hate to be cliche, but. Yeah. Ron Paul. I get it. Um. We're real. We're really lucky to have somebody like him, uh, you know, in Congress at the time and in politics, and still around to make a difference. And especially with my friends at Young Americans for Liberty, I can make a shout out to them that we have like, I don't know, maybe a hundred of them, maybe more, doing uh, tons of phone making right now um, for the elections down uh, down south. So uh, shout out to you guys. Keep kicking ass. You guys are great. Love you guys. Um, so. Uh, you obviously know all about Yao. We don't need to get into that. Right. Um, I did, but, but I mean, what I will say about Yao, they, they have been able to do really amazing things. Like it started out just students for Ron Paul yeah. uh, back in what, 12, 2012, I think. And uh, yeah, what it ended, what it has ended up turning into, I don't think anybody could have seen that back then. And they have done just amazing stuff for the Liberty movement and they have revitalized it in the youth, uh, in the youth of today. And like, I'm seeing more people who are libertarian, you know, concert, uh, libertarian conservative and anarchist coming out of college for the first time since in my lifetime. Yeah. It's, I, I genuinely think this is, they said, I don't mean to sound cliche again with the grassroots movement, but I genuinely think there's this this percentage of us that are you know our age and younger that are um, that are opening their eyes to all the fallacies that have been made for the past you know seventy years. Right. Um, they're seeing all and they're experiencing and feeling all these effects, and um, and they know they're not they're not the right avenue. And especially, I've realized the the more I learn about economics, the more libertarian I become. And, um, and it has a lot to do with the free market. And the thing is, most um, free market people that, that, that actually study economics and learn the facts behind economics, they, they turn very libertarian-esque, you know, because they realize that a free market is the best way for uh, people to uh, exchange, the most efficient way to exchange goods, um, you know, on both sides of the aisle. And... You know, we're starting to really wake up to that. And I think um, the more and more people wake up to that, the more they can actually start to promulgate the facts behind it. Right. Um, and, and more people will start to get it. I, I genuinely think, because when I was 10 years ago, I didn't see anything like I'm seeing now. Um, I'm seeing today's college kids kind of, it's kind of like the, they kind of reached a peak of like they've had enough, you know, um, they've had enough and they want to learn the best way of how to get out of it, um, which is great. And I just hope it continues to be honest. Yeah. As do I, um, a lot when I was growing up, cause I'm a little bit, huh? I've never actually said this on the show. I'm a little bit older than most of the people I have on this show. Um, uh, and when I like, when I was going to school, what's that? Me. Oh, I'm You're older. Not gonna do um, no, I'm, but I'm uh, older than you. Um, you think so? I, I know I'm, I'm 31, man. 31. Oh, I got you beat. Oh, you do. Wow. 
All right. All right. All right. I'll let you be, Grandpappy. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I got you beat by almost a decade. Um, but, uh, wow. yeah, so when I was going to school. Those good lucks, too. I'm proud of you, bud. You know, there, it, it's, it's real easy. It's like I said at the beginning, like before we started this show. If you do a lot of drugs when you're young and cop like a huge <laughs> alcohol problem, it just preserves everything. So oh, uh, the alcohol—that's it. Yeah, the, I gotcha. Yeah, it, it like <laughs> preserves everything in a youthful like exterior. Um, it's like you pickled yourself essentially, and it just gonna—it's just gonna stay that way forever. Um, hey, and I know I'll drink to that. <laughs> Bula. Um, but so like when I was going to school, Lyndon Larouche was like doing this campus push, and mm-hmm. a lot of people what like. Was that again? Lyndon LaRouche. Do you know who Lyndon LaRouche? He was like, I feel feeling I'm going to be embarrassed. It's going over my head. Uh Oh, he's a, he was left of Bernie and he was doing this huge campus push. Like, okay. I remember they were coming up to me uh, when I, when I was going to George Mason, Uh, there was this Mm -hmm. group of people who were all for Lyndon LaRouche and they would come in and they'd be like, Hey, Lyndon LaRouche uh, wants to know how you feel about whatever. And like, I was like a 17 year old kid. Um, like I'd already been through uh, basic training, but like, I didn't know how to talk to people about politics and they would come up and they just like, don't you think that everybody should kind of like get for work, get paid for what they work for? And I was like, well, yeah. And they were like, you should like, duh. Yeah. You should get paid if you work. <laughs> that makes sense to me. After like I was reading their newspapers and stuff, it was all socialist and communist crap. And I was like, oh, that's not what you're saying. You're saying that we should all just get paid. <laughs> but they wanted me to join like the Lyndon LaRouche team. And I was like, no. And uh, Dennis Miller made a joke about Lyndon LaRouche uh, once. And he said, that guy missed a field goal so far left. Uh, he could have hit Lyndon LaRouche. <laughs> And, I love that analogy. That's yeah. great. And it's been one of my favorite jokes of all time, but <laughs> most people today don't get it because they don't know who Lyndon LaRouche is. So I've changed it to now he missed that field goal so far left, he could have hit Bernie Sanders. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, so like when I was going through school, they were like pushing the socialist agenda. Like that's what the groups were trying to get. They Nobody was talking about freedom. Nobody was talking about liberty. Nobody was talking about you know, the individual, everybody was talking about the collective. We were talking about making this a socialist nation, a communist nation. Like that's what everybody was trying to push back then. So it's great to see today that the youth yeah. is moving further toward individual liberties and uh, individual economics and getting away from all of this collectivism. And, and look, you're saying, I think they are. I mean, because the status quo would kind of turn into the um, the social push for years now. And I think people, like I said, are starting to learn. And and it's only going to be better for us. I just hope um, – well, the start is, with the greatest part is, I know for a fact, it's it's Young Americans for Liberty that is getting these people elected into state rep offices across the country. Right. Um, you know, they're building the bench. They, the goal for, at the end of next year is to have 250 state reps in office. That's astronomical. But it's doable. 
and they have resources. They, I just went through the Canada Academy myself. It was great. Um, I learned a lot. Um, have, have you heard about that yet? Yeah. It's a new thing they started this year. Uh, did they start it this year? Because uh, Matt Nye, who's the uh, chair of the Republican Liberty Caucus, I know he... Oh. They were doing it last year. I apologize. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. Because I, I, I knew he went through something. I didn't know what it was called. Yeah, um, so, it was a candidate academy. Yeah, okay. And um, and it's great. Um, it, it, they slam a lot of material at you, but it is great material. And these guys, it, they they don't sit on their hands. Everybody is so passionate about individual freedom in this organization. They're so passionate about individual rights um, that their work ethic is astounding. And, and it's it's not for just for themselves for everybody um you know our collective is for the individual so we can all collectively be happy and sovereign right and um you know the people that were getting elected with young americans to liberty coming up through the candidate academy um they're all going to help lead to that and we're seeing the victories now this year especially you know savannah maddox is kicking ass um you know uh, a bunch of others. I can't even go down the list. I probably should have made a list of them and, and wrote them down, all the things that they've done. But um, the thoughts and expressions on this app, on this show, uh, my <laughs> own, they're not representing Young American Celebrity. I just have to establish that. Um, but a lot of our uh, ideals coincide. Right. Um, Which, I mean, so I get a lot of people that I've met through Young Americans for Liberty on this show. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a good portion of my guests I've met through Young Americans for Liberty. And all of them say that. They're like, yeah, what I say here does not, uh, is not being backed by Young Americans for Liberty, but we all kind of agree on everything. And it's true. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It is true. I mean, I know for a fact everything I probably say here uh, today would probably be endorsed by everybody in Young Americans for Liberty. But um, we also, we also don't want to say anything wrong and have it uh, have young Americans liberty misrepresented. Right. No, I get that. I absolutely get that. Um, of course. One, one, one day, if I can get uh, Cliff away from Kennedy for an interview, I'm going to have to do that. Oh, Lisa Kennedy? Yeah. Oh, man. I had a great, I just was with her uh, at and the Alcon in Philly. She walked right up to me. We we're in VAP because I'm in, uh, I'm one of the, uh, um, um, the legacy society donors. So they give us uh, a special kind of cocktail party at the events, right? Um, where they have all the speakers come and get to hang out with the group of like 50, 60 of us or whatever, um, showed up to that event. So we get to hang out and she came right over to me and hung out with me basically the whole time with a couple of guys I was with. And we, <laughs> I was like, Lisa Kennedy, how you doing? Yeah. And she's like, Hey, picked up my lanyard. Mr. McDonald, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my God, I love you. You're the best." She's like, "Who wouldn't love me?" <laughs> that sounds. And, that um, sounds like her. Yeah. And, and, and I said something. I forget exactly contextually what I said. I said something along the lines of "Marry me," and she uh, she responded. She said, "Oh, sweetheart, I'm sorry. You know, I'm already married to Liberty." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was. Oh uh, yeah, that she's awesome. Yeah, I remember. I remember watching her on MTV, and oh, you are old. <laughs> wow, thanks, man. Um, yeah, so 
I remember watching her on MTV, and when I found out that she was a huge advocate for liberty later on, I was like, that can't be the same. Oh, my God, that's the same Kennedy that I used to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Maybe uh, maybe you can have her on here one of these times. Hey. You know, why not? Hey, I'll have Why to, not? I'll shoot her a uh, message. Be like, Hey, I watched you on MTV. You should come on my show. Um, you going to be coming to any of the outcons soon? She's going to one in Memphis. Is she? I don't know. I don't know if I am like my work schedule has been crazy. Uh, cause we're just opening a new bar, uh, stateside Cava. If anybody didn't know, because you know, they're my new sponsors. Um, but we're just opening a new bar. We're trying to get everything going. I've been uh, working any day that I don't have a show. I'm at work and I'm there all the time. Right. So, Right now, it's like hard to get away, um, but uh, no, I. But so no, I was saying. I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, you are getting ready to start the. Oh, I had it pulled up here, and I had to switch screens for a second. The Education Reform Caucus. Yes, sir. Excellent. Yes, sir. And I am a big fan of education. Like, I want to get rid of. I want to get rid of the department of education. I want to get like public schooling. I think it's a massive joke. I think it's indoctrination when I was, so when I was like, I, we were talking before the show, I told you I was watching the um, Phillies game, uh, Phillies Cardinals. And yep. they were interviewing one of the players. I don't know which, I can't remember which one he was not. A, he was not a good interviewer or interviewee. And the interviewer was just trying to pull stuff out of him. And they have some program that is to get food to, uh, underprivileged kids when they aren't in school and all right, all for it. You know, I'm all for companies trying to do this, but what the interviewer said is these, these students are used to getting breakfast and lunch served to them by the schools. And immediately I'm going, they're indoctrinating people into schools are now providing for the kids. Like that's immediately where my brain went. Like I called my dad all angry at this baseball game because of, because of this one sentence and um, yeah, but that's what they're doing. They're, they, they are indoctrinating students into thinking government is the only thing that can provide for them. Oh yeah. And the dependency is outrageous. I mean, that's going down the dependency road. I mean, they, that's why they, they have it during business hours. So you, you know, you, you get child cares through the schools. Um, you know, the, the, they like to, um, um, get DSS involved when you go to home, go to homeschooling because they, they, they want you to depend on the state. They want you to fit the mold to fit into society. Um, and especially, uh, well, here, I'll, let me back up for, for a second. Um, so this is what we wanted to discuss today. Right. Um, I, um, I'm not, um, throwing out the education reform caucus yet. I have a couple people that I'm friends with in the Liberty movement, um, in the libertarian party, um, uh, precisely and we are all going to be co-founders of the education reform caucus um we haven't rolled it out yet because we want to we want to establish it at the end of the summer the beginning of the school year and start going over situations and um and issues that that come up as the as, as the school year goes on you you, you know what i mean Right. Um, we want to be able to address people's concerns and issues um, as they ha- um, as they happen. Um, you know that way um, people will be a lot more interested um, um, in, in the program and 
we can craft our initiatives um, over the school year to tailor um, to what exactly is going on in society at the time and go over the budgeting processes and everything else. So we are, um, we are getting the ground uh, rolling with that and I hope it really takes off because there is nothing that is education reform on a grand scale. Um, there's a lot of education reforms when it comes to, um, you know, um, at a micro level with a lot of things. Oh, education reform for adding civics into school. Education reform for um, catering to homeschooling. So there's a lot of different subsets of education reform. There isn't one grand centralized plan or approach or attack to kind of handle ending the damn Department of Education. Right. That has absolutely, it's it's destroyed our country. It's destroyed our education our, and the intellect of our individuals, the innovativeness of of what America really stands for. Um, the um, in 1978, uh, the year before the Department of Education was implemented, in 1978, we had the number one education system in the world. Number one, numero uno. Why would you break something that doesn't that doesn't need to be fixed? Right. You know. Why? Why? Why even bother? But instead of asking questions, let's just go into uh, the issues. Um, now, when it was fully implemented in 1980, we we gradually and consistently, all the way up till now, 38 years later, right? Gradually and consistently have dropped down to 29th in the world overall. Well, it depends. Between 24th and 29th, depending on uh, who ranks it. Um, but still, at best, American ranker rank us 25th. Um, that's that's awful, especially without GDP per capita. Um, there's there's no reason for it whatsoever, and and my theory behind it, and it, it's not just a hypothetical. I, I, it's it's it, it, I, I didn't bring all my information on that one topic, but I feel like towards the end of the Vietnam War. We were in a hippie stage. We didn't have any, there's no interest. We had to have a draft. Right. You know, we drafted, I think it was like 3 million. Something like that. Um, during the whole uh, Vietnam War. And um, and it, we, were, we were ashamed of our country. We didn't want to join the military. And we weren't, we weren't supportive of our government. And then they'd established the Department of Education which just like the Hitler youth helped indoctrinate us, our kids to become status, to, to become patriotic, um, to stand behind their flag, their, their, their sky cloth. And, um, and that's where, that's where the, um, the pledge of allegiance came in 1982, the mandated pledge of allegiance. Was that it wasn't in, even close to, was that 1982? Was it 82? No, no, sorry. It wasn't 82. I think it was 88. No, it, sorry, don't quote me on that exactly. I think it was '88. I, I was thinking the Pledge of Allegiance came around during. Um, I thought that came around early. I thought that came around way earlier. I thought that was like the '30s. No, well, no, not no, no, no not. No, I'm talking about mandated. Oh, mandated. Mandated. Sorry, um, mandated nationwide. Um, we'll say between '82 and '85, okay. somewhere around there. It was early on in the Department of Education. Um, and and it, it worked though, 
it worked. It helped psychologically get people to uh, be patriotic and to back the flag. Right. And right. and it got people to join the military. It got it, it got us to trust the government more. Um, we we gained reliance from the government at a young age, and that's only come into. I mean, people that were growing up in the '80s, they're all adults now, and so. Um, and that's what we're seeing right now in our society is that first generation of, um, you know, of indoctrinated children um, be grownups. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's falling apart, as you discussed earlier, with the liberty, liberty movement. Right. Which, I, which actually, that's a really good way to look at it, because I'm, I'm at least as old as the Department of Education. Um, so... <laughs> I'm at least that old. So like my entire school, my entire schooling, I, you know, in the morning I stood up and, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation right. under God, which was added by Harry Truman, uh, indivisible with one, and one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Um, like I, I will never forget that. I said that every day, um, every day. Every day, Me too. every morning I had to say that in homeroom or whatever grade I was in. And it makes a lot of sense because a lot of the people coming out, they, they hated the government, but they all believed that you needed the government in order for things to work. And even when I was going through uh, high school, I kind of believed the same thing. I said, oh, we need to make a law for that. We need to do this. Like the government should do something about this. The government was the answer to fixing it. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized that every time the government came in to fix something, that it made everything, it made the issue worse and made other things worse. I started saying, why are we asking the government to fix these things? Oh yeah. Instead we yeah, should get that, the government completely out of it. Oh, exactly. I mean, I, I didn't even learn that until I joined the air force. Um, uh, when I was in the air force, I saw how unbelievably bad. I mean, first I saw the contract. And how unbelievably egregious it was with, with being wasteful with our tax dollars. I mean, it, they, it, dude, the Air Force for years at one base are paying $1,300 for a freaking coffee mug. $1,300 for years for coffee mugs. One, one at a time. One. $1,300. I'm not, not even joking. That, and and it's not, that's not surprising to me even a little bit because, I mean – but for anybody who wants one, we have these great Muddied Waters Media coffee <laughs> mugs that you can get for $1,300. Just PayPal us at muddywatersoffreedom uh, at gmail.com, and I will send you a coffee mug, $1,300. Um, you, I'll send you two. Like, I'd just send us $1,300. Um, but... <laughs> Like, it's not surprising because so I joined the army when I was 17 years old, which, yep. like you said, I don't look my age now. At 17, I did not look 17. You looked like you were 10. Probably. Yeah. I mean, to me, I look 17, <laughs> but I definitely, <laughs> I, I, I looked 17 to me, but to other people, I did not. And they accepted. I'll take it easy with the age jokes. Uh, It's fine. Um, (laughs) Most of the people I hang out with are much younger than me. So it's like, I'm used to them. And I'm just kind of like, I don't care. (laughs) I still look better than you do. You blend in anyways. Yeah. Yeah. People make fun of me. I'm like, I look better than you at your age. So who's winning? Um, But 
exactly the so the army like i even then i started noticing the army back in the late 90s was just completely wastefully spending money and like why were they doing all this recruiting pushes to bring all of these people in we, we weren't at war we weren't under attack by anybody like uh clinton started going after bosnia while i was in basic training which that'll give you like a really good idea on how old i am um he started bombing bosnia and everybody was really afraid that i was going to be sent to bosnia and as soon as i got out of basic training because they didn't understand how any of it worked and like we didn't need to be like it was just a complete waste of money and people were like no the government needs to do these things the government needs to fix these problems and no they don't they don't <laughs> and leftist leftist thought of it as a humanitarian thing oh they're getting, they're getting, uh, you know, the mass genocides over there right now. You know, uh, Saddam is killing everybody. Uh, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? Uh, we got to take them out. Right. They're weapons of mass destruction. Oh my god. You know, thanks to the the, the Department of Education and uh, indoctrination, we trusted our government. Patriot Act. Never questioned it. Never questioned Patriot it. Act. Oh God! Never question it. Oh, not not only that, but you know what? Probably the probably the. I think, I'm saying it's probably the worst, most influentially negative bill signed in the modern era. In the past probably like thirty years. Easily, you've got, and I, and the person who drafted it, one of the people who drafted it, is now sitting on the Supreme Court. Just you know, saying for everybody who's like, we need to get behind Kavanaugh. Um, oh yeah, Kavanaugh. That's right. I, I just I, it slipped my mind. You're right. Yeah. No, um, Ka- yeah, I mean Kavanaugh is one of the people that drafted it, that. and a lot of people on the right were saying we need to get behind Kavanaugh because he's getting railroaded for things that he never did. Which agreed, that part's true, but we shouldn't have been backing him for those reasons over there. Not because of what the media was pushing and what right. the Democrats were pushing, but because of things like the Patriot Act. Um, yeah, because of that. Because of a because well, it also included all the Fourth Amendment violations. Right, you've got a war it on also terror. Also surveillance. You've got you've got an illegal war on terror, which doesn't have any particular enemy. It just has a particular ideology that they're going after, which they can now define as anything they right. want. Much like uh, Shane Sweeney and I discussed a couple exactly. of weeks ago, they are now defining uh, people who work in drug cartels as terrorists. So even if you are let I don't know if you do drugs, but let's say you do and you buy weed off of some guy in Boston who that weed comes from a Mexican cartel. Like even if it goes through like a bunch of different lines, he is now listed as a terrorist. Like that is how broad all of this has got, gotten. And it's absolutely, it's absolutely insane. And it all started because we have to trust the government. The, indoctrina- yep. the indoctrination happened. We allowed it to happen. Not you and me, but, you know, we as a nation allowed it to happen. Yep. And we just said, we got to trust this government because they know better than we do. When in all actuality, no, they don't. Right. And that's exactly George Orwell, 1984, like alluded to. Um, you trust Big Brother, have faith in Big Brother. You're going to go down with Big Brother. You know, you, 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 um, 
and that's exactly what we ended up though. We ended up being um, indebted to Big Brother. And, uh, and it's completely opposite of the American ideal. Um, we're supposed to be a free, a falling fathers wanted us to have our individual rights. That's why we're a republic in the first place. Right. Um, they, they uh, and this bigger push for uh, uh, democracy, democracy, democracy. Um, yes, a democratic republic works um, if you follow the Bill of Rights and what makes us a republic, what gives us our individual sovereignty. We don't follow the Bill of Rights in. No, <laughs> no, not even a little we, bit. Um, we, 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 we trust full, full on democracy, which is obviously has been proven history. That's another thing. We don't have civics. We don't have history courses that are required anymore. We don't have people that want to look at the past and reflect on it and to see where we, where, what certain outcomes happen to certain actions. Um, it, the, um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Oh, you're all you're all I'm good. You're alluding good. to a point. <laughs> no, you're all good. So am I. Um, but, but yeah. So, what are yeah, we? Um, so, what are a couple? Of, so, when you're talking about education, when you're talking about education reform, like obviously we want to get rid of the indoctrination that we're seeing. We want to we want to get rid of people just trusting in government. Like, how are some of the ways that we're going to be able to achieve that? All right. Well, I'll get into, uh, I'll list a few, um, and, and then I'll go into them. Right. Um, so I have a few points that I want to bring up, you know, ending, ending the department of education is, is numero uno. That's our main goal, but that's not the first thing we can do. Right. All right. There's going to be baby steps, stepping stones. And that's what I want to do as a collective with, uh, I, there's a, there are a few, um, I'm not going to drop any names yet, but, there are two Liberty movement teachers that are also going to be providing us input. And uh, I plan on being a professor someday and I'm, I've studied, uh, I'm middle of studying uh, law and how to, how to teach. Uh, I really want to be influential to as many people as I can in a positive way. And I feel like being a professor um, is, you know, probably the best way to go. Right. Um, professor in economics at that. But um, so knowing the department of education uh, needs to go is the main goal. We need to keep that on our minds, but realize that there are steps that we have to take, um, you know, and one of the ideals that we want to implement, uh, implement is allowing anyone to apply to any school, also giving the school the ability to deny students. Now that sounds horrifying. I'm sure to some people. Yeah. When I read that talking um, point, I was like, know, I can't wait for this one. <laughs> yeah. And that's why it's number one too. It's um, it's one you got to um, get around to people. And, and here's, um, here's actually what the, uh, one of the co-founders had to say about it. And uh, it's actually directly quoted uh, from him, but he's going to remain anonymous as of now. Okay. Um, and he stated, um, although not ideal, I think there needs to be an assigned district school for families that do not want to change anything where a student is guaranteed acceptance no matter what. 
Uh, the reason being the argument of the people on the other side of the issue will be that we will hurt low-income students if schools have the choice not to accept them. The solution is to have the local school district be the assigned risk school that ensures everyone has a place to go no matter what. And I think that's great. Um, so going on with that rationale and that plan uh, to implement something, we would um, create larger districts out of a certain group of towns, maybe by county, and, um, and treat it like a free market. Um, treat it like we had um, more private schools like we did before the 70s. Um, you know, we're still going to have tax. They're still going to be supported by tax dollars, unfortunately. Right. I was like, man. But that you, half my audience, half my audience just went, nope. <laughs> Listen, you got to be pragmatic. It's got to be baby steps. I don't want the goal is to end the Department of Education and to have zero taxes paid towards education. That's the goal. That's the goal. But you guys, most libertarians and anarchists, the too impatient. They 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 get they get a little overzealous and they uh, they say no no fuck taxes no 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 we're not excuse me no you're um, fine you're fine you know, I, we don't uh, we drop the f bomb on this show often you know, yeah <laughs> good all right um, you know so they um, uh, they they really um, it, it's kind of like half of us turned into the extreme wing of the right and the left before a libertarian wing. Right. And, um, and I, I'm just, you know, I, I love those guys. They're great. They're, they're awesome. I mean, I agree with them hundred percent. Um, it's just that when engaging in active politics and getting involved, you need to have a pragmatic approach. Um, you need to be, um, understanding and accepting of the other people's, but not accepting, but understanding and open to listen to other people's perspectives. Um, and you can't be too extreme. You can't, um, you can't scare people because especially with the general, general populace, they're not, you say, Oh, I'm gonna take all the tax. Everybody's going to start to freak out. They don't know what the heck you're going to do. They, Oh, you're going to take away all of the programs. Oh my God. That complete anarchy. They, I mean, anarchy already has a negative stigma as it is, you know, um, it's due to ignorance, of course, but true. <laughs> But what about, right. but, but what about the roads? <laughs> what about the police? What about the fire department? <laughs> what about EMS? Whoa. My roads. Uh, well, see, one of the biggest things about that, I love that you brought up the fire department and we're not going to go, I know you talk about anarcho shit all the time. So I'll, um, I'm going to keep that brief, but why can't the firefighters be the police or the police be the firefighters? It, the firefighters are stick, sitting around 95% of the time anyways. That's true. Well, same thing with the cops when they're not beating people up. Right. When they're not, <laughs> when they're not out there fundraising, or as I like to call it, giving tickets. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Fundraising for the state. Right. You know, Got to make my quotas at the end of the month. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but they don't have quotas. Liars. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. No, some do, some don't. But yeah. Right. So here in Pinellas County, um, we have, I don't even know how many high schools we've got in this area. Uh, it, it's a bunch. But you have to actually apply to go to the schools. So there's a school. You do. You do. Yeah. So there's a school. The high schools? The high schools. The public schools. Yeah. 
So I like that. Yeah, so uh, right up more. the right up the street from me is a uh, Boca Ciega High School. Uh, they call it Bogey, which is what I'm going to call it from now on because that's just what I'm used to calling it. So you got Bogey, and uh, Bogey has a med program, an arts program, and then they've got like their general school, uh, and you have to apply to go there. Then you've got uh, St. Pete Catholic, which is more of a private, but it's still public, and you got to apply to go there. And they've got specialized uh, thing, specialized courses there. Um, oh, you got a public Catholic school down there. I believe it's public. Never, it may be. It, it may be a private school, but I know a bunch of my friends went there, and their family wasn't like Catholic. So, right. so I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like I didn't yeah. grow up here, so a lot of this is just me kind of learning about it as I've been here. Um, but there, right, right. all of this, all of the high schools. If you live inside that district. I believe you are allowed to go there, but if you live outside of the district, you can apply to go there and they will accept you in. And then you just have to find your way to school. Um, so, uh, St. Pete high is another one. Uh, so one of a girl that I used to date, she ended up going to bogey. Uh, she went there for the arts department. Her little brother wanted to play basketball. And I think St. Pete high had a better basketball program. So he applied to go there. Um, he didn't get in cause he wasn't good enough. Um, feel bad for the kid. I, I actually like him. Um, but he didn't get in. So he ended up going to bogey. He ended up going to bogey. I think he ended up going to bogey, um, and going to school there, but you actually have to apply to get into the different high schools. It's like you're applying for college in eighth grade just to right. get into high school. No, see, that's awesome, though. That That is a very unique thing. I've heard of different regions having that. Obviously, you're in uh, one of them that does, which is fantastic. Um, maybe held on to their uh, old ways maybe a little bit. Um, but, you know, back in the day, that's what it was more or less like. Um, it was uh, less structured, which allowed for more freedom and uh, liberty to be able to go and try different things. I mean, because, you know, one school might have a better band. One school might have a better art program. Right. One school might have a you know better basketball team. One team might just have um, a better a tech curriculum. Um, these different schools are going to have different things that appeal to the individual. And which one I want to get into standardized testing because that's the thing that irks me most. I get about that. Department of Education um, because it, it's the complete antithesis to actual uh, individual growth. Uh, it's standardizing everybody to conform to one curriculum. And, uh, and and these people only get trained on the curriculum that get tested for. And these teachers work around the parameters of these exams because they look better uh, on paper for their students having better grades on these exams. And, and, and it's all a complete farce. It's all all to, to follow along with the test. Now, here, here's my long list I uh, told you I was going to delve into. Um, you can stop me whenever you want, but there are many reasons as to why um, the standardized testing is the absolutely most negative thing you can do for a child in their education growing up. All right, so without further ado, I'll continue with this. Um, um, standardized testing uh, is un unavoidably biased by social class, ethnic, 
regional and other cultural differences. It's unfair, uh, it unfairly uh, advant advantages those who can afford to test prep. Um, it radically limits teachers' ability to adapt to learner differences. It provides minimal to no useful feedback to classroom teachers. They are keyed to the deeply flawed knowledge framing core curriculum adopted in 1893. They have led to the neglect of play, music, art, and other nonverbal ways of learning. And that's actually irritating because that allows creativity. And all of those programs are the ones that are seen non-essential because they don't have to get tested on them. Therefore, they let the state funding go towards all the other standardized BS. Um, uh, it also hides problems created by minor error computation scoring. Um, it penalizes test takers who think it's non-standard and, sorry, I read that incorrectly. I, I, um, I, I, was, I wasn't sure oh, yeah. if I lost you for a second. Okay, yeah. It, it, it penalizes test takers who think in non-standard ways, um, which young people frequently do. Um, it gives control of the curriculum to test manufacturers, which is a thing I'll get into at the end of this. It encourages use of threats, bribes, and other intrinsic motivators to raise scores. It assumes that what the young will need to, to know in the future is already known. It, you know, it, and so it, it's exacting. You know, it, it, if everything is already there to be known, you're not going to have an open mind to expand and, and, and try to think about other possibilities, other things. It, it, it stifles creativity. Um, so, it produces scores, which can be and sometimes are manipulated for political purposes. You want to cut me off? Yeah. So real quick, cut me off whenever you want. Yeah, yeah. So, um, did you ever see the movie The Truman Show with Jim Carrey? The yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, great show. Yeah, great. Uh, well, great show. Great yeah, movie. Yeah, great movie. So they talk about uh, when Truman was a kid. Truman Burbank. Uh, when Truman was a kid. He was in school and they're like, what do you want to be? He's like, I want to be an explorer like the great Magellan. And the teacher pulls down a map and she goes, oh, I'm sorry. Everything's already been discovered. There's nothing else to look for. That's essentially right. what they're doing with standardized, like with these standardized testings. They're saying. And he lived in a bubble happily, just ignorantly, happily in a bubble. Right. He, he never went it's anywhere. He just. Point. Right. So, uh, right. When you were saying yeah. that, I was just like, oh, that's like Truman. Um, cause that's one of my favorite movies. It's one of the greatest movies ever made in my opinion. Yeah. Stop me on the next few, another point like that's a great point. Um, uh, standardized testing also creates unreasonable pressures to cheat. It uses arbitrary subjectively set pass fail cut scores. Um, they reduce teacher creativity and the appeal of teaching as a profession in general. Um, lesson concerns for and use of continuous evaluation have no success in life, predictive power, meaning if, you, if you're failing at the standardized test, you're going to fail at life. You, you psychologically attain that as you go. Right. You unfairly channel instructional resources to learners at or near the pass-fail score. 
there are open scoring errors with life-changing consequences. Standardized tests are at odds with deep-seated American values about individuality and worth, which we discussed. Um, it creates unnecessary stress and negative attitudes towards schooling. It perpe they perpetuate the artificial compartmentalization of knowledge by field. It channels increasing amounts of tax money away from classrooms and into corporate coffers. Structure. Yes. Waste the vast creative potential and human variability. Block instructional innovations that can't be evaluated by machine. Unduly reward mere ability to retrieve secondhand information from memory. They subtract the available instructional time. They lend themselves to gaming strategies to improve the success rate of guessing. <laughs> it seriously happens. I did that for the LSAT when I just prepared for the LSAT a few months ago. Right. Um, we, we learn in the, in the Kaplan LSAT prep courses, we, we use gaming strategies. And, and that definitely helped me out because uh, I scored decently well on the LSAT and it helped me out significantly. Um, so, so, but, you know, that's what. So what you're saying, what you're saying with that is. So part of. Uh, so what you so what you're saying there is that when they're teaching you basically how to guess better as opposed to actually learning the information. Yeah, I remember in fourth grade, my teacher said um, like twenty nine percent of the questions are A usually on the MCAS is Massachusetts something standardized assessment whatever, but the MCAS um, the Massachusetts standardized test he they knew the rate uh, the a came up so if we didn't know the answer he told us to select a that's gaming strategy i remember that one explicitly from my own year and so i mean they're, they're even going outside of teaching and regular curriculum and teaching people how to do better on these tests just to make teachers look good without actually teaching actual shit it's disgusting it, it yeah no, um, if you're not actually teaching them if you're not actually spending the time to teach the knowledge and you're just teaching people to a test or just how to take a test, not even teaching them the, teaching them the information yeah. on a test. You're just saying this is the best way to take you're teaching them. Right. You're not actually teaching them anything. And you're putting them out there in this world thinking that they're going to no. be able to guess their way through life or they're going to be able to be given all of the answers uh, when everybody knows once they get out that that's not the way it works. And it kind of insinuates too that there are ways around things. Like, oh, you can do a little bit better if you manipulate it this way. You know what I mean? Um, probably helps create some integrity concerns. Uh, I mean, I, I see at least. Well, um, I mean, that's how we get um, politicians. So, right, right. <laughs> All right. Um, so where was I on this one? Um, Okay, yeah, they block instructional innovations um, that can't be evaluated by machine. Okay, yeah. Um, they block instructional innovations that can't be uh, evaluated by machine. They unduly reward mere ability to retrieve secondhand information from memory. Right. Which is true, actually. Um, they, they subtract from available instructional time. Oh, I already read that. Right. Okay, make time a parameter largely unrelated to ability a factor in scoring. So um, they teach, they also waste time teaching how to manage their time on the exam than actually, um, you know, learn what they need to need 
in life, not for the exam. Um, they create test, test fatigue, aversion, and eventual refusal to take tests seriously. Um, they hide poor quality test items behind secrecy walls. And what do you mean by secrecy yeah, walls? That's all, that's, that's all I got for right now. Um, right. They hide poor quality test items behind secrecy walls. Um, they, um, they, whenever they get results back from a group that they just taught that year right. and the new class coming in, you know, the new, uh, the, the year younger kids that right. were in grade prior, um, they know where they were poor on, uh, so, um, they, they will concentrate higher on those other areas to hide their poor quality and, and to try to, I don't know, uh, keep that secret, I guess. They, they, um, they, they don't want their school to know that people are dumb and they're not learning math. So then they are able to teach for the test in math, but not actually teach them anything where they're really, you know, doing bad at. Um, all it comes down to is, you know, majority of these things, um, some of them I knew, many of them aren't, um, they, these teachers, these educators, um, they, they teach around the entire exam and they, the entire curriculum is based off a lot of these exams and no curriculum in the world should be based off of a single exam. You think it, you think the law school prepares you for the LSAT? No, the, the LSAT is just supposed to be a general, uh, all-encompassing, you know, a, a general law, law exam. Um, I mean, because different curriculums at different schools, they're all taking the same test, and they all have similar pastries. And, um, you know, in high school and, and with kids growing up, um, these are all detrimental to their, their psyche. And, well, first of all, they're not getting taught. And secondly, they're getting taught to a one objective and one objective only, and that's it. And, and so it, it, it's, it's, it's causing a complete, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's a waste of time. We're not teaching. That's what it comes down to that, is we're not teaching, and it, it leads to a lot of other issues. That is, that is actually one of the biggest things that um, – uh, that's actually one of the biggest things that I've had an issue with with education is that we're teaching kids to a test, which the way that you've actually described it is we aren't even teaching them to a test. We're teaching them how to take one test. Um, right. And that actually, that makes even more sense. Uh, but when I, when I was going through school, like creative writing was, it wasn't pushed on me, but like I gravitated to it. It was, it was, that was what I wanted to do. That was what I enjoyed doing. So that was what I tried to do that in all of my classes, even like math, um, which that explains why I'm awful at math now. Um, but you know, <laughs> a squared plus B squared equals C squared means absolutely nothing to me. Like that does not matter even a little bit to me right now. Um, I don't, I, I, See, that's what I do for my everyday job. So I don't even like talking math because I do it every day. <laughs> I just, but we work with certain algorithms for measurements. I'm a calibration engineer by trade. So okay, that's what I do in my day to day work. Gotcha. Um, I calibrate equipment. 
So when you working with tolerances and dimension, that's all I need. Right. So uh, sorry to cut you off. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. But like that, all I've ever wanted to do is be a creative, which, you know, that's why I started writing books and that, like I've written screenplays and I've got, you know, some movies on IMDb and stuff like that. And that's why I do what I do here is because that is how I, that's where I do my best. Um, and that is how I learn the best way that I can when it's just here, read this, take this test. I don't actually internalize anything. I just memorize it for the 30 minutes that I need to, in order to take a test. And then it's gone forever. It was when I was, um, I don't know, sixth, seventh, sixth grade, seventh grade. Uh, my buddy and I had some after school thing and my mom came and we, she picked us up and she was giving us rides, giving my buddy a ride back home. And he and I were talking about a TV show that had been on the night before. And this is when, this is back when you had to watch a TV show when it was on and then you didn't get a chance to see it again, like ever. Right. Um, so he and I watched the show and then we were talking about it in the car and we like quoted the entire episode. And my mom said, why can't you do that at school? And I said, well, they don't make it funny. And cause it's true. They don't like school's not funny, but I could have, I quoted right. an entire episode of night court with my friend without, you know, only seeing it once. And right. if they would kind of be able to tailor education to students where, where they personally tailor it to people. Like, I, I know it's difficult because you've got a classroom full of kids and many of these schools well, are going to... I'm sorry to cut you off right there, but the um, that connotation, tailor, I kind of want to get rid of that. I want to untailor education. That's what we want um, for individuality. We want, um, we want education to not be tailored to a set goal, but I guess you can use that term when you mean tailor it to, you know, uh, to open up to various different opportunities, and right. various different um, ideas. I mean, because when you're, I don't know about you, when I was in eighth grade, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. I mean, I kind of already knew what I, I kind of knew. I basically knew exactly in eighth grade what I kind of knew in 11th grade, right? you know, 12th grade. I mean, I wasn't much of a difference. So why can't you just send um, a, a kid to Vogue school if that's what he wants to go do fresh, you know, um, in eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade, you know, what if you want to, what if you want to be a farmer, you know, and you don't not going to use any of that shit, math, history, English, and you don't want it. You don't care. Your parents don't even care to want it. And you want to learn to be a farmer. You want to learn how to um, manage a farm and, 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 and manage a business. So teach them some uh, business courses, teach them, um, you know, ranching. You know, have there's there's a market out there because we're all individuals. We all think individually. There's a market out there for our own thoughts, our own decision making. It's just that the the government took a monopoly on education, and we don't have those markets anymore. Those markets all gravitated up to college and secondary education, where we need them. We need them at a younger age. We need those art schools at a younger age. Right. We, we need, um, we need the wood shop. Yeah. We need the wood shops and we need the automotive classes and the farming classes. I don't know what those are called. I'd never had that. But up. those are the ones that didn't get standardized tested. Right. Those so are, they cut the funding for them because it was useless. Right. To, to them. 
Right. And because and it's because students in New York City don't need to like they're ninety nine percent of them, probably ninety nine point nine percent of them aren't going to become farmers. So yeah. they don't need it. So right. there's no reason to teach it there. So you can't put standardized testing on farming in New York City, where kids in Iowa, a larger percentage of them are going to end up in farming. It's just that's the way it is. Like, yeah, it's their own personal choices. It's what they've chosen to do. But it's for many of them, it's what they love to do. So because these two two areas of the country that are so vastly different in cultural makeup and – economic makeup and socio uh, makeup and all of it because they're so different. It's like, Oh, well we can't teach them the same thing. So we need to get rid of it out of our, all of the schools. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad actually. I mean, because I mean, Illinois is like the perfect example for that. You have Chicago on one end and then you have rural, the other, the whole other state. And, and then you've got Southern Wisconsin on the other side. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's, um, and it's all, uh, they're all held to the same standard. So there's people on these rural farms in Illinois, you know, like where Larry Bird grew up and, uh, they, they, uh, you know, they're held to the same curriculum, the same standardized testing as Chicago kids on. It's, it's completely egregious to, to, to keep everybody, together and informed but and but i get it we talked discussed it early in the conversation you wanted to get people to be patriotic and we got that but then we didn't know what the hell else to do with us so we thought collectively oh standardized testing this thing that thing everybody has a new great idea to make things better to work on to make everybody smarter no no if you let everybody think for themselves individually you would have more intelligent people in a, in a broader spectrum of of um experiences and um it would only be better for our society to have people expanded to all those different things um and what it does right now that it just completely um it it shuts down Ooh, i have a good article about forbes actually where forbes discusses um how um kyung he Kim, a professor of education at the College of William and Mary, um, um, initiated uh, a, a called a, what's called a Torrance test. I'm not exactly what it is. I'm just reading it from this, but right, right. No, this kind it. of test they made up is a Torrance test of creative thinking. And um, the study reveals from K through 12 that children have become less emotionally expressive, less energetic less talkative and verbally expressive, less humorous, uh, humorous, less imaginative, less unconventional, less lively, less passionate, less perceptive, less apt to connect um, seemingly to relevant things, less synthesizing, and less likely to see things from a different angle, which is exactly what we're seeing right now. And that is depressing. It's, I mean, all those things are depressing, but also especially, um, that's a key point they brought up, you know, less apt to be open-minded and see things from a different angle and they um that's what we have with that completely bipartisan politics right now nobody's nobody's in the center anymore nobody you're either one or the other there's nothing in between and and not like uh, libertarianism and i mean 
most libertarian yeah. most libertarians I know are extreme on like so you know they they're extreme on all of their beliefs. Is that like like you said earlier about taxes? You know, we're like no taxes. We don't want any taxes. Oh, I'm extreme on that too. No, trust me. Yeah, no, okay. I, I get it. I, I just want to make sure that, that doesn't stick with me yet. No, no, but no, <laughs> but you're right. So like, and, and I, and I, and I know your feelings on taxes. Like it's the feelings that most of us have on them. Um, but we're going to get so much shit. For <laughs> I know. Uh, but you know, libertarians are like no taxes. And if you, as a libertarian or a liberty minded individual, if you are actually in a governmental position and you start pitching any sort of legislation that has anything to do with taxes, you, you're just, you're not a libertarian. Uh, you're, you know, people are like, you're not a real libertarian. You're a socialist. You're, you know, you're evil. Um, if so, like a lot of liberty minded people, and I'm going to put that one in big old quotes, uh, who support Donald Trump, who, <laughs> right. Yeah. That exact face. That's how I, that's what, that's the same face I make. Um, a lot of liberty minded people, yeah. the Trumpertarians, the Trumpertarians. Yeah. Who are, who forget that Justin Amash is one of the most principled people in Congress who stands for every single thing that you say you want yep. to believe in. But when he comes out yep. and he goes, yeah, I think that the report says Donald Trump committed. Uh, oh God, I forgot the word where he tried to uh, obstruction. I think that Donald Trump yeah. tra- tried to com- committed obstruction I think that we could move forward with impeachment. Suddenly he's the devil. He is the worst thing that's ever happened. He has cut for spending. He has, he has stood up for anti-war. He has stood up for guns. He has stood up for every principled thing that we say we believe in. But because he's going against the president on this issue, which granted is a major issue, but at least he's principled in everything that he has ever done, ever stated. But You're, one thing a lot of a half of libertarians resent him though too is his pro life. But that's the way the biggest that's the biggest issue where libertarians are torn. Right. But I mean, the other half of libertarians do show, so you're not hated. But no, no I mean whatever. I, I'm pro I'm a pro-life libertarian. I feel like if you're ripping apart another human being, that's pretty egregious and against the nap. Um, you know, pretty aggressively against the nap, if you don't, if you ask me. But I also come from a uh, a family where my mother's um, the 17 year old crackhead. My father was 19 year old abusive drunk. Um, we, we, uh, I lived in my own so 17. I, I couldn't get out of there soon enough. I needed to. And, and everybody in my life that I held dearest to me wanted me killed. Everybody wanted me killed. My mother kept me and I, and that's why I owe her my life. Um, my mother didn't kill me. And at that time it was still, so it was just becoming socially acceptable and and not a big deal and she was the epitome of somebody who should have aborted somebody and killed me but i'm here and i'm happy to be here and i know all these other kids that are killed they'd want to be here too right that's my stance on abortion. yeah um so i'm god i've never said that's it. why that's i have no comes from man because he takes science. You know, Mosh, and Mosh looks at the science, and he actually is the one that got me into it because he discussed how, what a baby feels at 12 weeks, which is the average. It's 12 to 14 weeks is the average aborting period. Right. At 12 weeks, a baby feels pain, has a nervous system, has a brain, has all vital organs, um, starting to digest food, um, can move its hands and limbs. 
uh, has a beating heart and is actually starting to learn already. And when the forceps, I saw the video and this is real. And this is what freaks people out when actually you explain it. I hate to, do, sorry to do this on your podcast. Yeah, it's fine. But, but when the forceps go in to rip the baby apart, the baby squirms. It moves around. It knows that things there that shouldn't be. And it squirms away from it. And uh, when it gets its first limb ripped off, it, um, it screams out in pain. It's called the silent scream. People don't hear it, but it's most certainly felt. Right. And, um, and that's, that's a person that's being murdered. And that's, that's my take on abortion. I'm pro-choice everything. Um, but murder isn't a choice. I mean, technically with that rationale, I could put my son under a blanket, kill him in the blanket, Nobody saw it. Nobody heard it. That's that's cool, right? Well, I really hope you don't do that. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I, my best friend. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So, like, I've I've actually somehow miraculously never actually had talked about this on the show. Um, really? Like spider episodes? Never. Oh wow. yeah, yeah. Well, other people have talked about it, but like, I've just never done it. But so, like, I. Don't do it. Yeah, I'm not gonna. No, 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 no. I'm like so. I'm, I'm. (laughs) God damn it. So no, you don't have to. We can leave it off there. Listen, you're running a podcast. No, no, it's fine. Device stuff. You can leave them. You guess. No, it's fine. So (laughs) I am more on the page of the heartbeat bill laws. I think once the heartbeat's there, that is when there should be a cutoff. That is where I'm. That's that's what what Amash Amash went for. That's kind of that's kind of where I am. Once you get the heartbeat, that's what like yeah, I understand that once once the sperm and the egg meet and suddenly it's a, it's a different DNA. It's it's something different. But I think there ha- there's got to be I don't know if that qualifies yet. But once it gets the heartbeat, once it has the heartbeat, that's where I'm like, okay, that's that's a separate entity. You do not have two hearts. You do not have right. two hearts. Yeah. Exactly. Your body doesn't have two hearts. It doesn't have two brains, four hands, four feet, you know, four legs. It's, you know, your body, your choice, but that's not your body. Right. And that body wants to, that body wants to live. Um, you know, and then, then, then you have the, uh, man. Oh, all right. After this, we'll, we'll move on because it, it just, it gets me every time the, um, the new laws, uh, you know, being able to abort, uh, kill kids when they're born. I mean, I don't even know what to, I'm lost, still lost for words with it. Like Cuomo, I, I hope somebody assassinates him. <laughs> I do. Again, I, we here at Muddied Waters do not condone the assassination <laughs> of any political figure. And <laughs> what Brian McDonald says is not, what y'all <laughs> yeah so i definitely yeah that doesn't reflect on anybody else's opinion that's right. personal. <laughs> personal so yeah i i totally disagree with <laughs> i definitely disagree with late-term abortions and uh, the virginia law where once they're born we can make a decision like that's not a law i don't think they ever actually signed it uh the greatest thing that happened yeah. to governor northam in virginia is the blackface controversy because the that took away from all of the abortion controversy. Um, and now we aren't even talking about like, 
that was a crazy two weeks in Virginia with the abortion controversy, the blackface controversy, and then uh, Justin Fairfax, um, Justin Fairfax possibly raping people when he was younger. Like, but none of that's heard of anymore. All of that's gone. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, none of that's heard of anymore. Yeah. Um, it's funny though. It's funny though that, that the media, with the blackface thing, that that went on for two days. If that was anybody in the right, oh my god, that, that guy would be out of office. Days. Oh yeah, instantly, instantly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. Yeah, never mind. Aside from that, yeah. So, like, I think that anybody that's saying, you know, late-term abortion is fine, or especially when Northam's going out there going, you know, after they're born, we can put them aside and you know, a decision can be made. That means that you're thinking about killing a living being. I don't care how you're framing it. I don't care what you're trying to say to make it better. That is what you are saying in that moment. And the question is, where between a late-term between being born to a late term abortion, like the difference between that is, you know, literally hours. And at what point do you draw your line on when it's okay? If you're saying not until that baby's out, then you and I probably are not going to be great friends. Right. If you're saying, you know, in the first trimester, if you've got decent arguments, maybe I can like get my head around it. Like I'm not going to like ruin a friendship over. I'm just never going to talk abortion with you. Um, but for me, it's, I have some friends like that as well. Yeah. But for me, it's the heartbeat. Like for me, it's the heartbeat. If there's a heartbeat, that's a separate human being. It's, it it is pumping its own life through its body. And there's not much more of a more rational argument than that. I mean, it, I mean, they, they try to argue sentient being all that, you know, I mean, You're, I don't know. I didn't, as Ben Shapiro, you know, cause then they, majority of the people that approach choice, they, they agree with, um, child support. Well, guess who pays 99% of the child support? Men do. Okay. So they're saying that they're okay with men not having the decision to not pay a child support. What if the men wanted to abort their kid? What if they wanted, you know, what if they wanted to kill their child and they'd not be responsible for it, but the state makes them, but the state can't make you not kill your kid. I'm confused. Hypocrisy everywhere. I don't know. Yeah. The, uh, it should be consistent. That's all I ask. Right. And the, uh, I mean the men, the men's right movements and red pilling and all of that is a completely different episode that we can one time do. <laughs> Cause you know, <laughs> that's a good point. I that, could go down a lot with yeah, that. I mean, like um, that, that, that is a completely different episode. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. But, uh, I can go in depth with all. I, I've gone into depth with but people. Economically speaking, I want to say one last thing. Okay. I want to say one, la- one last thing about abortion. Um, and it's, it's economically related. All right. Um, not many people pay attention to the economics in America and what exactly is going on and this and that. Uh, they don't even want to get into it. But um, what's happening right now is we're having a population crisis. And it's the negative of what you think. We're not overpopulating. We're depopulating. With our jobs, uh, we're not going to have – um, enough people to fill the amount of jobs that are going to be have available. 
they're talking about why our unemployment rate's so low. It's going to stay so low, not because we have a great economy, not because we're making great economic sound decisions in government. They're, they're all bad decisions. Uh, what, what's happening is we're not having enough kids to fill the jobs that are already there because baby boomers aren't even still aren't even close to completely retired. And, um, and once they are, we're going to economically collapse completely. We're not going to have enough jobs to fill. I mean, we're not going to have enough people to fill those jobs. That's why I'm, I'm for one of two major things, completely opening the borders so we can get all those um, low-wage workers in here to take those other jobs, or we can uh, stop killing our kids, and you know, millions over the past few years, and, and allow them to live so we can actually keep our good quality of life that we want because it's going to degrade one way or the other. So um, that's the economic approach for, for that as well. But, right. Um, yeah. I got somebody on here that I've never talked about abortion with and he's commenting going, no, with a bunch of O's. I tried. Yeah, I tried. I tried. That's going to get me uh, some bad press too, but eh. I don't really care when it comes to that because I'm very passionate about that. So No, I get it. Um, and the people, you see the people who have survived abortions and that kind of, like the Ron Paul story about when he saw an abortion and uh, it was in his book, um, chapter 14, I think. Um but yeah, he talks about seeing an abortion and he and seeing that they threw the baby. It was when an abortion was illegal. He saw an abortion happen. An abortion was thrown. An aborted baby was yeah. thrown in a bucket, and like it was a. He was like it was alive, and that was the moment that I knew I would never be pro-choice. And kind of reading that, I was like, I can't, I can't argue this. I can't argue. Yeah. I can't argue against this. It's when you see it. Or experience it. See, I experienced it and I saw the video. And when I saw the baby, you know, squirming away and then gasping in pain, I was like, holy shit. I mean, that's when I, I mean, because I kind of, I wasn't accepting of it because of my life experience. Um, but I was willing to deal with it, I guess. Um until I saw that video, I just came really animate about it. And so I, I just try to refrain from talking about it with people that obviously aren't open to discuss about it, right. or at least um, similar minded um, as myself. But um, why don't we uh, get back into the uh, education? <laughs> yeah, let's go back into education before, other... before I start dropping other pieces of information about my personal life that not everybody. Yeah, yeah, know. I'm not trying to. I don't want to create myself here, and I want to discuss uh, a couple key points real quick. Um, where where it's coming into being a complete, not even we're not even teaching our kids. We went over how it's um, you know standardized testing is degrading quality education. They get rid of all of the uh, the other programs. We don't have free market of school where we can um, go to different schools and different programs, all that stuff. But now this is where it gets into the minor economic part, and um, from the stats that I have here, um, this is from the Friedman Foundation. Thank you, guys. They're great. Friedman Foundation's great. Um, from 1992 to 2009, um, students' numbers increased 17%. Okay. National with uh, population over the years. Um, whereas the administrators, 
and other non-teaching staff rose 46%. So students only rose 17% and teachers and other staff, non-teaching staff rose 46%. Right. What's the reasoning for that? I mean, we, I mean and that's just in two decades. Um, you know, it, it, during that period too, some states even lost some students it kept hiring more teachers. That um, it, it, yeah. Here's here's a little shot that I can show you. Um, from 1950 to 2009, um, the growth in students. So how many years is that? Uh, 50, almost 60 years. Right. 59 years. 96. Can you read that? Uh, yeah, so you got students, 96%, teachers, 252%, administration, and other staff, 702% growth. 702%. That, that's consistent, right? Right. That's, that's um, consistent. That's- there's that really famous, uh, there's a really famous graph uh, where they show testing scores for math, uh, math, English, and something else. I can't remember the third one. From the, mm-hmm. from the onset of uh, the Department of Education till 2003 or four, And the test scores kind of stayed level. You know, they kind of went up, they went down, they went up, they went down, but not, not a lot. And then they showed number of teachers being hired. And that number was roughly just about the same level as that graph was, you know, about 125% or whatever that one said. And then number of administrators and non-teaching staff being hired was shot way up and people are wondering why we're spending so much money on education. And that's the reason why we're spending money on bureaucrats. We're spending money on people who aren't actually helping to do anything. They're just telling people what to do. They're finding other jobs to get their friends hired, to get uh, other, other friends on the job. And it's just getting more and more people to be, um, relying out of the state, out of the private force in the market, and into more state jobs, which, I mean, it's it's complete black hole. I mean, they, they provide nothing, absolutely nothing, and we pay exponential amounts for it. I mean, 96% increase, so twice the amount of increase in students, seven times the amount of increase in administrators, and 2.5 the amount of increase in teachers. That is abhorrent. It, That's disgusting. It's insane. And the fact that people are like, we need to spend more money on education. It's like, why? Our test numbers aren't going up. If, and I, 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 teachers hate me when I say this. They're like, down. <laughs> they're like, uh, we, um, we deserve more money. We have the toughest job in the world. You know, we're, we're the ones that are teaching the future of America. And in my head, I'm like, ah, no, you're not. But uh, I'm like, okay you deserve more money. And they're like, yes, we deserve more money. And I said, if you get more money, are you going to teach better? Like, are you not teaching to your fullest capacity right now? <laughs> right. Like, you know, that's one of those things you don't even know. I mean, they're just going to make more money and that's it. I mean, nothing's going to change. Right. Um, you know, to paraphrase Milton Friedman right here, he says government organizations like public schools replace progress and greater efficiency with stagnation and higher cost and generally substitute uniform mediocrity for the variety essentially essential for what experimentation 
which can bring tomorrow's lag laggards above today's mean and lead to greater organizational efficiency. It's an absolute fallacy. That's that's the initial mindset. Like at face value, the facade, people think, throw more money at it, throw more of this at it, and it's gonna work. And it's not the case. That's not the case whatsoever. It's having individual um, free thought, free exchange of ideas, and people have freely being able to choose their own education, to choose where they want to go to school, to choose what they want to study, to choose what they want to have for teachers, for Christ's sake. Um, you know, if you're in public school and you have a bad teacher and you tell your parents, there's nothing we can do about it. Literally nothing. No. And, um, yeah, it's sad. It's sad. Um, now, one other thing I wanted to bring up before we went into other things is about the overreach that the Department of Education and what the government and all the state organizations do um, to families and the core construct of families and family life in America. Um, we, we're literally having good mothers, good parents um, that want to homeschool their kids and in the state is coming and taking their kids away and sending them away right here. I, I mean, for example, I have, um, this the, oh, those are the good alls. Um, so we're the okay, the Kings right here, the Kings from New York. They're from New York city, right? I read this whole story. I'm not going to go deep into it, but they have five kids, beautiful family, um, uh, African-American family in New York, obviously from, um, from not from money, but they dress like it. They, the, the father's really, really um, tries his best to be um, the best man he can. And he's, he, he worked really hard and he had a smart wife who's a teacher and he made enough money apparently to allow them to stay at home and to, so they could, she could teach the kids um, during the day. And they got everything. They got the state license. They got the, they got the curriculum from the school. They, they, they followed all the guy. They got the approvals. They followed all the guidelines. All it took was a neighbor's complaint um, about them um, complaining about the neighbor. And when the cops showed up to the house, they saw paper towels on the ground and said that, and that was because of a leak from upstairs in the neighbor's apartment. And so the cop went and, and told um, DSS that the kids are living in squalor and that they're naked and there's, there's uh, newspaper ruffled all over the house. The only kid that was naked when the cop was there was the one-year-old who was in a diaper. And, and so um, I wish I printed out a picture of this family so I can show you. Um, but so what it came down to is that the parents had to go and drop their kids off at the courthouse. They were summoned to the courthouse. They said they were going to have the kids ripped out of their, their home. They didn't bring the kids to the courthouse. And so they made the decision not to put the kids through that traumatic experience went down to the courthouse and dropped the kids off to get taken from them. And they had to deal with that and just walk away. And uh, it's, it's, 
I have five other articles here. I'm not going to get into, but of good families of great parents that, that want the best for their kids is what the hell they're getting them out of public school in the first place. Right. And, and in these, the, the, the state is so reliant on people's dependence of itself that it, it's just, it's willing to put, waste tax, more tax dollars, put these kids into foster homes and separate them from good parents to put them back into public schools. It's depressing. It's it, really, really sad. It is. Depressing. So, um, my sister lives in, uh, Philly. Um, she, she lives in Philly. Uh, and the schooling system in Philly, not the best. And uh, you didn't know that. Um, it's not a great schooling system. Uh, classes are overcrowded. They teach basically the, they teach basically to the tests, even at the young age of the, uh, of my nephew. And, uh, so she pulled him out and started doing homeschooling. And that was actually something I was concerned of. Like my, my sister and her baby daddy, uh, they're, they're good parents. You know, they care about the kids. I disagree with them on what they're teaching them, but they're good parents. They, they care. And, uh, it, it has always been my concern that somebody would complain about them keeping their kids from school and they would end up like something like that would happen because in a city like Philadelphia, that I, I could see that happening. Somebody puts in a complaint. Philly's like, we know better than you. Uh, your kids need to be going to public school. So we're going to end up taking, we're going to end up taking uh, your kids from you so they can go get an education in our public school system. And then the kids get lost yeah. in the public school system. It's so sad. Yeah, that family, by the way, hasn't seen their kids in two years. That's awful. Two years, all five of the kids. Yeah. And one was uh, not even one, just turned one. Um, you know, getting raised without the mother. And um, which I actually like that article I pulled up because they, uh, they want to talk about um, Ron Paul's program. Have you heard about that? Yeah. The, the Ron Paul curriculum? Yeah, the Ron Paul curriculum. Yeah, I mean, I've actually read it through and through. It's awesome. It really concentrates on civics and um, and, and everything else. Everything else is in it, but um, the key key core that's missing is civics and um, and history. And that's where um, that's where society and a, a people, as you know, you know, our society. That's why we learn from our mistakes. Um, we. We look back to history, see where we went wrong, certain policies, and we correct those. But instead, we don't do that at all. We don't. We don't even teach it. We don't want people to think about the past. Right. Um, yeah, and that's and I, I believe it was Winston Churchill who said, "If we don't uh, learn from the mistakes of our past, we'll be doomed to repeat them." I could be wrong. I think it was him. Uh, and that is kind of what we're forcing upon each other, or forcing upon our students, upon their uh, the children by not teaching them history, by not teaching them civics, by not teaching them the way that all of this works, because they're not going to know about the mistakes that were made. They're not going to know about the failures of the government from the last 150, 160 years. They're just going to say, right. oh, no, the government's good. The government's good. We need the government. And 
it is because of that that we end up having so many like we're going to end up having more issues later on as these kids grow and get into leadership roles yep yep and um that also comes back to the uh you know the dependency that herd mentality i mean we I mean, by by this construct of the Department of Education, I mean we're completely altering um, the psyche of an entire generation. Um, well, I mean, in to the point where we don't even have control. Like the social workers in these CPS cases and stuff. I mean, they wield massive, massive power over these families. Uh, to the point where they can't do anything. I mean, they they might be able to get reason with, but it's only if you play ball. That's only if you play their game, and 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 say yes, I'm going to do this to make myself better. I am going to, um, you know, I'm going to go to AA. I'm going to go to counseling, which is more tax wasted dollars because it has to be provided through the state. And and but tons of those programs, and um, and, and you have to play that game and do that just to get your kids back. And, um, and as a member, as a person who has uh, done AA, I understand that it works for some people, but, uh, yeah, I, no, I wasn't even saying AA putting a negative connotation towards AA. No, I, I was mean, just saying the, the forced, um, uh, dictation to, well, you'd have to technically willfully do it, but you're doing it to get your kids back. Right. And, and um, so I, w- I got arrested when I was 19 years old. Uh, I got arrested when I was 19 years old, uh, for possession of marijuana and they made me, yeah. Um, and they made me go to, they forced me to go to, uh, either narcotics anonymous or alcoholics anonymous classes. Uh, and I had to do that for two years. I had to do that. And I had to come like when I went into my, uh, probation officer, I had to bring in slips signed by people from AA for two years, for two years. Um, I, I had to do that. And the only thing, what I learned very, very quickly is that it's called Alcoholics Anonymous, which means I could sign any name to these papers that I wanted as long as they were in different handwritings. So like I, I found a way around it, but I'm certain that if, uh, it had to do with me trying to get kids back, it would have been a much more intensive thing. Nope. And that's what one of these, these, uh, issues states this, a mother in Massachusetts in uh, Springfield had her kids taken away from her. Um, I, I don't know. I, I had to look at the whole article to see how it was reported. Somehow she was reported and, uh, she got caught with, you know, a few grams of pot on her. And it was still illegal in Massachusetts. It was right before they decriminalized it. This was like 15 years ago. Massachusetts is one of the first states actually to decriminalize it, but it was right before they decriminalized it. She, I don't know, did did like two weeks or 30 days, something like that. But then by the end of it, um, um, DSF came to her house and, uh, and took her kids, both of them, because she smoked pot. And... Uh, she didn't uh, see her kids for, I think it was uh, 2.5 years. And then something else happened and she couldn't see them for like another year after that. So it was like 3.5 years she didn't see her kids because of cause of a few grams of pot. It's so bad. And, and 
Oh, and the kicker is, this was right before that you decriminalized it. All that crap was still going on. Like she couldn't see her kids. It got criminalized. And she still couldn't see her kids. <laughs> that's like the stories. That, that's awful. Like the, and this great mom. That's like, that's like the stories that you hear now about the people who got busted for uh, selling weed however many years ago. And now weed's legal in their state and they're still sitting in jail. Like, it, and yeah, pe- exactly. It, and the people who are out there defending it and they're saying, oh, well, you shouldn't have done the crime if you can't do the time. And, you know, this is whatever. I, I don't care. Like, it's a it, your crime. It's not. Government doesn't dictate morality. Exactly. I mean, I mean, the, 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 the Nazis thought they were they were moral. Listen to Hitler. Look how look how moral was killing all the Jews. I mean, I was I mean, it, it, if you if you think that law and law enforcement can dictate and enforce morality. I, I, I kind of think of you as a sort of a moral person. Um, because you think that a higher authority is whatever big brother is. And you say, you, you, you think that morality and what is right is whatever a, an authority tells you what it is. And that's, I mean, that's what our culture's gravitated to. We discussed that earlier, but it, it, it shouldn't have ever been that way. Right. I mean, and that, and that, that comes from generations of people going, we need to get back to, and this is both on the right and the left, but generations of people be, like, so my parents, you know, they're boomers. So they are of that mindset of, we need to get back. So they're what? They're boomers. Uh, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. we need to get back to that, uh, to the American standards that were in place in the 1950s and sixties, you know, when, when people were moral, we need to get back to that moral backbone because without that moral backbone, America loses itself, but you can't, and I think that, but you oh, can't, you can't dictate that by government. It wasn't dictated by government back then. It just was when you started right. saying you can't do these things right. was when people wanted to do them. No, exactly. You know, and uh, a little reverse psychology trick right there. Um, but also, um, and that's what the government did. They, they destroyed the nuclear family because um, the nuclear family, instead of relying on itself and each other, they gained reliance on the state. So where even the head of the household, the parents rely on the state. Uh, back then, the parents didn't. I mean, the, the parents were head of the household, but... Um, mom and dad said what mom and pop says goes and um, that's who you listen to that's who you listen to to follow morality your parents are going to teach you morality um, but no uh, it gravitated towards uh, the state unfortunately. right unfortunately but so um, um, we are actually way over time <laughs> It's a <laughs> Wow. Yeah, we went. It, Where did the time go? I, I know. I, I looked down That's and I was crazy. like, holy crap, we're at an hour 45. <laughs> um, I, I didn't realize that had been going on that long. Um, I'm going to have to bring you back on at a separate time yeah. to like continue this discussion because this is gonna, this could turn into like a four or five hour thing if we just keep going. <laughs> No, yeah, I could uh, honestly, I mean, I'm tougher on papers here. 
I gather my thoughts. I, I just thought of like 10 other things I could discuss. So I'm not going to do that, especially right now. But um, I, I do want to end it in kind of like um, one generalized note that we people should at least take away uh, from my discussion about it. Um, you know, and I say, what I say is this, is sadly, as long as we allow the government to at any level to exercise monopolistic control over the education of our children, and as long as we allow law to trump the parents' plans for the education of their children, then this tragic tale will be told again and again across this once free country. Yeah, that is the best way that you could have put that. That is absolutely the best way you could have put that. Um, do, uh, do you have I, something fell behind me? And I don't know what it was. Um, do you, uh, do you have anything that you want to pitch to everybody? Uh, obviously they can go and like you on uh, facebook.com slash libertarian dad. I think it is. Yeah. Libertarian daddy. It's the Facebook page is libertarian dad. The at is Libertarian Daddy. Um, I'm actually going to try to put more resources in that, make that grow, and uh, keep an eye out for the, the um, Education Reform Caucus, the ERC. Um, I already have the website and the Facebook page. I haven't sent out any invites yet because I want to make sure that's professional for you guys, the viewer, to see sometime and follow and support. Beautiful. And uh, I'm going to have to get you back on because apparently we can yeah. talk about this for hours because uh, we've already hit almost two. Um, and we didn't. <laughs> I even... had no idea. No idea. Time went by that fast. That was great, though. Good yeah. Discussion. So uh, for everybody else, remember, you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Muddied Waters of Freedom. You can follow us on Twitter at Muddied underscore Waters. You can follow us on Instagram at Muddied Waters of Freedom. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash muddied waters media. And you can find this. Uh, oh, also, uh, you can find this podcast at anchor.fm slash muddied waters. Uh, and you can find this in every other episode at muddied waters of freedom.com. Uh, tune in tomorrow, I think, for uh, Jason Lyon, who is going to be back. Uh, with a brand new episode of Mr. America, the bearded truth. And then we're going to be taking a couple of days off the weekend, as you would call it, uh, before returning next week with an all new episode of Mr. America, the bearded truth. And on Tuesday, fingers crossed that, uh, we have a new episode of muddied waters of freedom actually on Tuesday before spike returns on Wednesday with his new episode of my fellow Americans. Um, have a great weekend, y'all. Brian, hang out for a couple of minutes while I play the outro song. I'll talk to you afterwards. Cool. Uh, everybody else, enjoy your Sounds weekend. Great, have a uh, fantastic weekend. It's not a three-day weekend. Yeah, so just have a great weekend, and we will see you guys next week. If I hit the right button. There it is. I am. I am. I am swinging from a seven-story window. Throwing parties in a 10 by 7 cell It's astounding the legs I'll go To convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help Yeah, I am waving while I drown Don't bother swimming out to save me I will only drag you down I'll try to use your body to 
as a life raft Cause if there's room enough for one There must be room enough for two I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset Sipping on savory waters Till my liver turns blue Hey. Yeah. 